Hi, church. Welcome this weekend. So glad that you are joining us. Um, just right off the bat, before I jump into the message, give you an update that I think is important and that I think you, um, you can rejoice with me about. I don't have this uh, as 100% yet, but I do think it's probably at 85% uh, at this point. We've been uh, discussing with uh, the governor and a task force that's been put together of churches of varying sizes in different places around our state and the recommendation that um, is, is looking like it's going to come forth is rather than uh, 10 people or 20 people or 50 people gathering together, uh, it's going to be driven, I believe, on the size of a, of a room, right? The size of the room using the, um, the, the protocols that have been given us for social distancing. So in other words, if you took the size of our sanctuary, we, um, according to the fire department, can uh, seat a little more than 700 people in our sanctuary if we wanted to. We don't jam it like that, but if we wanted to. So if you take that number and then you use the six to eight foot configuration that a family group, whether a family group represents one person or eight people, if you um, have a family group sit together and then space out around them six feet, uh, let the size of the sanctuary uh, or the meeting room then drive, as long as you upheld the protocols of social distancing, let that drive how many people could be in a meeting. And that way, it applies equally to all churches, small, medium, and large. It's equal then in how many people a church can minister to. What I believe that means for us, if it, if it does come down that way, and I have no guarantees right now, but it looks good, it would mean for us that we would have approximately 200 to 250 people who could meet in our sanctuary in a given service. So what we would do then is just do multiple services over a weekend, plus we would continue to do the online so that we can minister to people who are elderly, who are sick, uh, who, whose immune system is compromised, or who just feel uncomfortable uh, meeting together yet with a, with a larger group of people, so that we can just minister to all facets of what the Lord has given us. But primarily, here's what I'm excited about. We could bring God's people together again in person, which then allows us to fulfill uh, the command not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that's what this is coming down to, that we do have a directive and an imperative from the Lord to be able to do this, also while figuring how to honor the authorities who are in place in our lives. Because the Bible does tell us that it is our job as believers to honor those who are in authority. Uh, here's what the Bible says. None of them are in authority unless God has allowed them to be in authority. And so where that puts us as believers, it doesn't matter if they're of the party that we voted for or of the persuasion that we would agree with. We still have a mandate from God to not forsake this, ourselves gathering together, but to also honor the authorities that are in our lives. So we've got to figure out how to be creative, uh, how, how, how to be quick on our feet, 
and how to use those two things to minister to God's people. And I think that we can do that. I'm excited to do that. More news coming very soon on that. So get ready. What a celebration that's going to be. Okay, let me get away from that. Let's jump into our message. Last weekend, I started a new series called If Money Could Talk. Um, the feedback from it is tremendous. It's always one of those things that uh, it's difficult to talk about. Uh, my wife said this, money is like sex in that it's very personal when you begin to, to talk about it. If you haven't seen last week's message, I would encourage you go back uh, and watch last week's message because we did an interview with people on, uh, on finances, just kind of a man on the street interview. And it's really, it's funny on one hand, but it's also very true and that it's awkward for people to talk about finances, but there's not very many things in life that will affect you uh, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically, all three areas of your life like money does. Jesus had a lot to say about this subject, and I know that people get nervous whenever uh, the church begins to talk about money, and rightfully so. We have a checkered past, not jubilee, but the church at large has a checkered past when it comes to how they've handled money. But that doesn't, um, that doesn't stop uh, the truth of what God has to say about it because there's great freedom and great life and great blessing that comes with having this uh, place in your life, money and finances, in the right place, submitted to God and, and able to be placed in his hands so that he can use you. Uh, he, he, he can, he can uh, position you to be a blessing and to, uh, to take care of yourself, your family, and others in the kingdom. That's just the truth of the matter. And what a, what a powerful place it is when we get our finances in line with what God says, when we're, when we're in a place where he can use us. So that's the directive of this series right here. It won't be a very long series, maybe after this weekend, another weekend, maybe, maybe two. Uh, but uh, this weekend, let me begin by asking this question. Okay, so think about this. Don't let this just go over you like, like water or, or, or uh, just, just things that you're, you're not tuning into. So focus yourself right now. <clears throat> Here's my question. If you were given a million dollars right now, what would you do with it? Okay, think about it right now. If you're given a million dollars, if I could write you a check or you won the lottery, right, what, whatever, uh, you got a windfall, an inheritance. You were given a contract uh, in your business or you got an incredible pay raise and, and you were given a million dollars. What would you do with it right now? Statistically speaking, statistically speaking, think about this. I bet your answer had something to do with spending it frivolously uh, on, on a car, on a house, on a vacation. Uh, I bet... You didn't think in terms of how to invest the money, how, how to multiply the money. Uh, statistically speaking, most people don't think in terms of multiplication. They think in terms of, um, of, of spending, which is shrinking what God uh, wants to do with finances. And so I, I just want to say to you, there's nothing wrong with, with acquisition. There's nothing wrong with buying things and, and there's nothing wrong with, with having fun with it, right? Uh, money is not the meaning of life, but it can add meaning to your life. But when your whole goal is just simply consumer, ah, rah, 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 eat, 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 and never, never balance it, never ask, what, hey, God, what's your plan? 
for, for finances. Uh, isn't it funny how that person who never thinks in terms of how do I multiply this? How do I invest this? How, how do I make this last? Isn't it funny that that person who never thinks that way is always in the position of dreaming about getting a windfall and never in the position of actually having it? It reminded me um, of this thought right here. Years ago, I remember reading an article about a man who was uh, exceptionally wealthy, right? Had a lot of money, and he ended up needing a heart transplant, needed a heart transplant. And here was the catch in this. He could afford to do it. Uh, he actually found a donor, that uh, uh, a, a person who had died, and they, they, uh, they had a donor for him. But the surgeon was concerned about doing the heart transplant for this reason. The man who needed it was a smoker. And they asked him, will you give up smoking if you get the new heart? And the guy said, absolutely not. It'll just give me a new lease to keep living the way I had always lived. Uh, doesn't that sound crazy that you get the opportunity for a second chance to, to have something given to you that's huge and that's, that's so powerful. And the person was unwilling to alter their lifestyle to be worthy of the heart transplant. So follow me for just a second. When I ask the question, what would you do with a million dollars? If you are, in effect, a person who doesn't have a grip on your finances, who doesn't have a plan for how to operate, what does God want with your finances? It's like the, the person who smokes but needs a heart transplant. Why should that person be given it if he's only going to abuse it? Why should God give you finances if you're only going to abuse it, if you won't change, if you won't do what he wants done with money. Does that make sense? And I know that's a bit harsh, but think of it that way. Why should God do that? If you're not going to honor him, if you're not going to plant the seed in the ground, if you're not going to put yourself in a position to do well with finances. So if you were given a million dollars right now, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? Let me, um, let me give you a story real quickly that changed everything for me, for my family, for our church, and for our future. And that story goes like this. Um, about three and a half years ago, Jubilee was a different church than it is today. We were a church who were really five different churches meeting in five different places, but calling ourselves Jubilee Fellowship. Five campuses with five different pastors, five different staffs, all of them uh, doing um, God's work, all of them loving God, all of them uh, trying to move the kingdom of God forward. But here's a reality that had taken place. While I believe very much God had called us to plant churches, what I didn't consider well, what did God want to do with those churches after they were planted? I failed to consider what God wanted done with it. So we planted them, we grew them, we got to a place where uh, to keep going forward became very expensive. We were very leveraged on how we were going to keep these churches going. And here's why I think that happened. I think because I failed to consider what the future was supposed to look like, those churches needing to become their own freestanding churches, because I failed to consider that, it got to the place where the churches in and of themselves consumed all of the finances that were coming in. All of the giving went to prop up all of these churches rather than being in a position where God 
could use us and we could give to the kingdom like we wanted to and, and, and be able to live free. We had gotten ourselves in a position where I, I use it this way. We had to have $100,000 a week in order to keep the wheel turning every week. So my prayer, instead of being God, what do you want us to do today? God, what do you want it to look like in the future? God, where do you want me to plant and to sow? And God, where can I reap? Instead of that, I had locked everything into my prayer being this. God, give us enough money so that we'll make it another week, another month, another six months. And I found myself doing this. God, we need a million dollars. Because here's what I would have done. If you asked me the question at that time, three and a half years ago, pastor, if God gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? I would have thrown it in the kitty to allow us to keep doing something, listen, that wasn't working financially. You ever been there? Do you ever ask God to give you something so that you can keep a lifestyle going that's not working financially? And I was at that place where my prayer was not, God, what do you want? I couldn't even consider what God wanted to do today. I had one goal, one aim, one position. God, we just need to keep this thing going. And it became such a burden and such a heaviness. If you know my story, you know this, that three years ago, a little more than, I had a heart attack. 52 years old, in a healthy uh, position, a young 52-year-old, and I suddenly had a heart attack that primarily came from stress. Stress. And I had done it to myself. And it was at that time that I began to consider. Chris and I, in the recovery from the heart attack, asked each other this question. Are we still supposed to be doing ministry with our lives? The question was easily yes. Then the second question was this. What needs to change so that this doesn't kill me, so that we can keep doing this with our lives. And it became simple. We had gotten to a place where we had gone past what God wanted. We had not considered what was to happen with the campuses. And so it began a series of getting before God, working with the leadership, and allowing each of those churches to become their own churches. One of them, we actually sold the property. It became another church outside of Jubilee. God bless that. But just asking ourselves, God, what is our future supposed to look like? And here was the thing that God had told me from the very beginning. Jubilee was supposed to be a place where people could recover and discover the promises of God. It was supposed to be a place in a city that God had called me to. And although we are all about planting and helping people move the kingdom of God forward with other churches. This is the church that God told me to pastor. And when I, when I realized that I had gotten myself way past where God wanted me to be, here's the smartest thing that you can do. Instead of doubling down, instead of making all your prayers about God, give me, give me, give me, do this. Be willing to back up. Did you hear me? Be willing to back up. It takes humility it takes, um, it takes a great deal of, of being willing to say, hey, I was wrong. It, uh, it, it takes a, a, a great heart to be able to say, listen, uh, folks, I, I'm sorry, but we've got to stop this. We've got to back up and we've got to go in the direction that God told us to go. Uh, let me fast forward and give you the report. 
three plus years later, hallelujah, we're in the best place our church has ever been at financially. We're in the best place our church has ever been at spiritually. Our worship is in a place it's never been before. I feel like I'm teaching with a freedom I've never had before. And I feel like God has renewed my strength, both spiritually, physically, and emotionally, so that I can run the race that's before me without having to slow down and without having to carry a burden that God never intended for me to carry. So if you asked me three and a half years ago, what would you have done with the money? I'd have just thrown it in the kitty to keep something going that God wasn't blessing. If you ask me today, what would you do with the money? Completely different answer, and I'll share it at the very end. Remember that. I'll share it at the very end. My answer today we'll discuss in a few minutes, but it's completely different than it was three and a half years ago. Let's do a quiz real quick on how you view finances. I think this is a telling quiz. Listen, it's not do or die. It's not life or death. Uh, although, when you get this wrong, it feels like death. When you get it right, you experience the life of God. It's really important. It's not heaven and hell, but it feels very much the difference between freedom and slavery, the difference between bondage and ability, right? So let's take this quick little quiz. You, it, it's, it's, uh, it's for you and you alone. You don't have to say these out loud. Although if you're watching this with your family, with your spouse, uh, with your significant other, in a, in a small group, a Jubilee small group, message group, maybe you do want to answer these questions. But when you think about money, right? You think about money. I'm fill in these blanks. Which one describes you? When I think about money, I'm uh, number one, stressed. When you think about money, are you stressed? Are you stressed for how you're going to make it? Are you stressed for how you're going to retire? Are you stressed for how you're going to pay your mortgage? Now, I realize that right now, because of the circumstances that we're living in, you might find yourself having difficulty answering that question. Perhaps you were laid off. Uh, perhaps you were furloughed. Perhaps right now, um, <clears throat> you know, with the circumstances, you, you don't feel uh, at peace. You feel stressed. I understand that. I'm actually not putting my finger on that before this happened, before the COVID, before the stress. Um, what, what would have been your answer? When you think about finances, I'm, would you have said stressed? Here's the second one. When you think about finances, um, I'm thankful. Are you thankful for what's going on in your finances right now? Can you give God praise for that? Do you feel grateful? How about this? When I think about finances, I'm ashamed. Do you feel ashamed about uh, where you're, if they were exposed for your friends, your family, uh, the general public to look at your finances, would you be ashamed at what you've done with money? Uh, when I think about money, I'm confident. Do you feel confident? Do you feel like I know what I'm doing? I, I, if I were given a million dollars, here's exactly what I would do. I could enjoy some of it. I could invest some of it. I, I could move and be used by God. When I think about money, I'm frustrated. Would that be how you would answer that? Do you feel frustrated uh, with your finances, with your investments, with, with where your life is going, with, where you're, with what your future looks like? Do you feel hemmed in? Do you feel like uh, you're, you're in bondage? 
when it comes to all the credit card bills that you have to pay? Do you have, uh, the, in Texas, they, they call it big hat, no cattle, right? You look like everything's good, but in reality, you don't really have anything. Would you consider yourself to be uh, in that position, frustrated? Uh, when I think about money, I'm weary. It makes you tired. It wears you out. You fought a battle, and it really can be a battle. Um, it, it, it can get into your marriage. It can get into uh, your confidence. It can get into the way you feel about the future. It can affect you in so many different ways. Uh, when I think about money, uh, I'm oblivious. I just don't think about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't like to think about it. It's, it's something that I don't feel. Uh, perhaps you were never taught about money, so you don't feel any confidence in it. Or perhaps uh, it's just such a mess. Or maybe somebody else handles it, and you just are oblivious. How about this? When I think about money, I'm pleased. Isn't that a good one to be able to say, I'm pleased with my circumstances? Last but not least, if you were taking a money quiz... And I asked you the question, when I think about money, I'm optimistic. Perhaps that's the one that I would, I would want to, uh, if I could position you when it comes to this, here's what I'd love for you to leave with when the message is over or after God has had his way in this. Do you feel optimistic? Even if things are a mess, I want you to know our God specializes in second chances. If you think about the gospel, the very, the very good news of Jesus Christ is the proof that God gives second chances to mankind. Paul needed a second chance. Peter needed a second chance. King David needed a second chance. Every human in history needs second chances. And if you're in a situation where you need a second chance with your finances, I want you to know God is the God of second chances and God wants you to be optimistic. Maybe there's changes that need to happen. Uh, for sure, with all of us, right? But God wants you to be optimistic. Last weekend, uh, I used this scripture from 2 Corinthians. This is a scripture that helped me understand what's supposed to happen with our finances and put me in a situation where instead of, if I answered the question, took the, question, the quiz, when I think about finances, I'm optimistic, I'm encouraged, I'm working on it, I'm uh, putting into practice a plan. All of those things would be true. When I think about finances, I'm also ashamed of some of the things that I've done. For sure, all of those things are true. But the, day, the way I feel now, uh, using the scripture that I'm about to share with you, I feel optimistic, and you can too. So let me give you a principle here that's so powerful, and then I'll show you a graph that I have come up with that it, it's very simple, but it can be so profoundly helpful in setting you free. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, Paul's writing to a group of believers, teaching them about finances. If you think this is not a biblical principle, you have been misled, you have been fooled. Uh, if you think this doesn't belong in the church, my friend, that is foolish thinking. It's wrong thinking. And if we don't speak to this and define this, we give the enemy the opportunity then to put his plan in place in your life. And that should never be, never be. When Jesus said the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, don't you think he means in your finances too? 
But Jesus said, I came to bring life and not just any life, but abundant life. Wouldn't it be awesome to say of your finances, it's abundant because of God's blessing. It's powerful thinking. This scripture can teach you a principle that's second to none. Now he, speaking of God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase. Look at that word right there. Increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. If you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So how do we know what's being talked about here? When the Bible says generous, it's talking about finances. That's the context. So if you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So here's the principle. God gives seed. Remember, Jesus taught about seed. Seed is that thing that goes in the ground and reproduces a harvest. What is one seed worth in a harvest? One seed, it's never one to one. One seed never produces one seed. If you take an orange seed and you plant it in the ground and an orange tree grows up, when it comes to maturity, it begins to uh, produce oranges in season. How many oranges can one tree produce in one season? It's thousands. How many, how many oranges over the lifetime of a tree can it produce? Hundreds of thousands. The point, when you open an orange, each orange contains dozens of seeds on the inside of it. One seed is never one seed. One seed is thousands of seeds. If you'll take a little seed and put it in the ground, God can bring forth a harvest and increase your opportunity to, to, to see his blessing in your life in a phenomenal way. Here's what the Bible says. God gives seed to the sower. He does not give seed to the consumer. If you take your seed and you eat all of it, you have nothing to put or to sow with. So the way you should do seed, take what you need for yourself, take what you need for your future, but save some of it so that you can sow so that you can put it into the kingdom of God, so that you can put it in the soil of people's lives, so that you can feed people, clothe people, build churches, do things that help the kingdom of God to go forward. One seed is never one in return. It's hundreds of thousands in return. And when you learn the principle of sowing, he gives seed to a sower. You will find God's blessing in your life in a phenomenal way. And we live in a culture, think about this for just a moment. We live in a culture that is very much about consuming. We live in a culture that sees what they make, their money, they, they do not see themselves as a steward of, of money. They see themselves as the owner of money. And here's the difference. If the money is yours and you don't see it as being uh, belonging to God, then you'll just do whatever you want to with the money. But if you see yourself as overseeing God's money, then you will be careful with what you do with that money. When I watch over my mother 
and I help her uh, in her finances. And when I'm thinking about uh, going to the store for her or, or taking care of, of different things for her, I always, with her money, I'm very careful with what I do with it because it's not mine. It belongs to her and I want to make sure she's taken care of. When we see ourselves with the money that God's given us as overseeing his money, then we will be careful with it. The principles of God are not a burden on us. Uh, it, it actually will make you very proud of being responsible with it. But if you buy into the mindset of our culture, then that mindset is simply, uh, how can I outspend? The, how can I have a better car, a better house, a better vacation, better clothes, a better lifestyle? And you will be a consumer only, like a tourist in this world, instead of a missionary in this world. You were put here with a purpose and a plan, and that includes with your finances. God gives seed. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So let me give you a simple assessment of how you can take this scripture and look at it in your life with your own finances and, and seeing how to live your life. It's a simple strategy. I actually told Pastor Terry this before I started the message um, this weekend. This is, listen to this. This is a very simplified strategy. It's not sophisticated in investment. It's not sophisticated in, uh, in compound interest. It's not sophisticated in, in uh, being able to, um, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> own stocks and what kind of portfolio and, 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 and that, type of, uh, that type of a situation. But listen to what I'm saying. If you can't master the simplicity of the plan that I'm about to show you, this biblical plan, you'll never get to the point where you can do any of the other things. And by the way, this is a universal plan. You don't even have to be a believer in order for this to work in your life. It's like gravity. Whether you love God or you don't believe in God, gravity still applies in this world. The same thing is true with this. Whether you love God or don't believe he even exists, uh, if you will apply this principle in your life, it works for believers, non-believers, uh, atheists, nominal, whatever. It's a principle and a principle will work for any person, okay? So let's just do this real quickly. You might want to fill in the blanks, get a pen or a pencil, use the online notes. Here it goes. Um, when you live above the line of your income, it will steal your joy and your peace. It would look like this. So let me point this out to you real quickly. Um, try to follow along with this. The green line is the line of your income. This line is representative of any amount. It can be $1,000, it can be $10,000, it can be $50,000, $500,000, $5,000,000, it does not matter. The amount is not the point. The green line is just simply whatever your income is. Whatever your income is. Now, can you work to increase your income? Of course. Take another job if you need to. Uh, get a promotion. Always be working to increase your income. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's getting ahead. It's trying to do better. God put those things inside of you. It's, it's, it's okay to think that way. But for, for representation's sake and mastering this plan that God, God gives seed to the sower, right? Your, your line, your green line is just your line of income. So think right now, how much do you make or how much do you have 
coming in or, or, or you know, what's it like? What's your set value in retirement? Whatever that is, that's your line. If you establish the principle that you live above this line, the pink line represents your spending. If you spend more than you take in, the Bible says that the, the debtor is a slave to the lender. When you're in the position of having to borrow to make it because you eat more seed, or you eat, actually not more seed, you eat all of your seed plus extra, right? You're going into deficit with your seed. When you learn the principle of always living above what you make, let me tell you what your prayer is. You may use different wording, but here is your prayer. God, give me more. God, it's not working. God, why won't you bless me? God, why does it work for other people, but it doesn't work for me? God, what am I doing wrong? Here's the answer. You're going above what your income is. You are not only eating all of your seed, you're eating seed that doesn't even belong to you. And it puts you in a deficit place or you are a slave. You are a servant to money. You've not mastered it. It's mastered you. And the longer you go with this, listen, listen, I'm trying to tell you something so important right now. The longer you go with this, it becomes an entrenched lifestyle. And an entrenched lifestyle is very difficult to break out of. This is where the idea of a second chance comes in. But if you are asking God, bless me, but you're not willing to make any changes, you're like that guy that needs the heart transplant, but he's going to continue to smoke and abuse himself. Why should he get a new heart if he's just going to keep doing the same thing? Why should God bless you if you're not willing to change and put into place the principles that God gives you. Does that sound right? Can you say amen where you are? Or is it sticking in your throat? Ah! So I know, listen, here's what I know. I've been that guy. I lived that way. And I know it can take years to reverse that. But my friend, if you will give God something to work with, here's what you never can contemplate when you're dealing with these things. You'll look at your situation and you'll think to yourself, I've, I've, I've dug too deep of a hole, uh, it's too high of a wall, it's, it's gone too far, and then you'll just be oblivious, right? Because you don't want to think about it. Here's what you don't know that I'll expose you to right now. God is the God of the miraculous. There are things that God can do for you. You have no idea about how he can do it. Your mind is not creative enough to think of all the ways that God can bless you. One day of his favor, one moment of his favor is better than a lifetime of your labor. And if you will begin to put God's principles into effect in your life, you give God the opportunity to do the miraculous with you. God can bring a turnaround. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. And it's the truth of the matter. And instead of just keep continuing to live this way or being frustrated by this, listen to me. Begin to say to the Lord, it's got to change. Find a way to apply the principles of God in your life because they work. Here's the second one. When you live on the line, when you live on the line, you will feel powerless and stuck. You'll feel powerless and stuck. All right, so the yellow line, right? The green line's income. Many people live above the line. 
When we think about doing better than average, we think, okay, as long as I don't go above the line, I'm better than average. That's true. But average is so low, that's not the comparison that you want to live your life by. And here's the principle. God gives seed to the sower. If you, right, go all the way up to your level of income, you have nothing to sow. All you're doing is not going beyond your income, but you're consuming all of your seed. And your prayer will be, God, please help me. God, rescue me. God, my boss is a jerk. God, why won't Pastor John do something for me? It was so deathly quiet. Listen, listen, okay? It's, it's, you can't think because you're doing better than the world that you're okay. God's standard is complete. It's a, it's a paradoxical kingdom. You want to be first, be last. Want to be great, be least. You have to do it the opposite. So you don't look at the world and say, as long as I'm a little better than the world, I'm doing okay. No, don't even think like the world. So you don't want to go above. You don't want to go to. What's the place you want to live your life at? It's a simple principle. You've got to establish this. By the way, let me just say this to you. If you're young, now is the time to establish this principle in your life. If you're young, define young. <laughs> you're not dead. How about that? But if you're young, right? You haven't made all of these mistakes. You haven't set into effect um, a, a, a channel that's hard to get up out of, right? Before you set those things in place, when you're young, get these principles in your life. It's harder as you get older. I know what I'm talking about. It can still be done, but it's harder to do. So what's the right place to live? When you live below the level of your income, here's what you will feel. You will feel free and you will feel contentment. Do you know that the Bible says uh, being contented, it, is, it has great gain with it. It's godliness and contentment are a powerful combination that allows you to live in this life free when all everything else is melting down, when everything else is messed up. Not that it doesn't affect you, not that it doesn't mess with your heart, not that fear isn't there to tempt you, but when you, when you aren't living in the paradigm that the world's living in, it allows you to be free. You can dance when all the other stuff is, is in mourning. God can turn your ashes, right, into joy. It really is possible. So when you live below the line, you feel free and contentment. It looks like this. The blue is where you want to live your life at. If this is your income at the green, you don't want to live above it. You don't want to live on it. You want to live down here. From here to here is what you consume. Buy a car. Buy a house. Go on a trip. But stay below. Live within your means. Stay below. Yes, I know the neighbor went to uh, Bora Bora. And you went to Boring Boring. Okay, whatever. You can just do it for now. So that you can increase. Because once you begin to allow this right here. This level from what you consume to where you live. This right here is where wealth is at. That right there is where contentment is at. 
that place right there is where joy is at, where peace is at, where, where ability is at. If you will create margin, you give God something to work with. And here's what I found. Give God the smallest thing to work with. And when he begins to bless you, it's not addition, it's multiplication. Things you can't even imagine that can happen for you, God can do in your life. You can be a person who was never taught about finances. Never. But God can do incredible things with you. Look, what you didn't get by pedigree, you can get through the Holy Spirit. It's the truth of the matter. It's really powerful. You can be free and you can have great contentment in your finances. Here's really the bottom line. If you will do what I'm telling you to do and master this simple plan, listen to this. You'll be able to say yes to God. The most frustrating place for believers to live is to love God, to tell God, I want to serve you, all that I, I'll make room for, just like when we worship, I'll make room for you, God, all my life belongs to you, but here's the truth of the matter. When you've mortgaged your future financially, you can say the words, God, I'll make room for you, but if you've given that room to the enemy, you've given that room to debt, you've given that room to a lifestyle of consumerism, you can say the words, God, I'll do what you want me to do, I'll make room. But the reality is, you can't do it. Listen to me. There's nothing more frustrating than loving God and not being able to give him everything that he asks for. And this is where, listen, this is where believers begin to go, why am I not experiencing the, 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 the life that Jesus said? He said, I'll have abundant life. Not just any life, but abundant life. Why don't I have abundant life? I'm trying to tell you why. It's not because God doesn't want to bless you. It's not because the scripture is not true. It's because you've given that place to something else other than God. And you've got to move those things out so that God can have that place in your life. You want to be in a position where God can use you. You want to be able to say yes. The life of God, please hear me. I don't know. This is where I'm afraid that my words are not going to do justice to this principle. Listen to me. The, 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 the life of God is found in obedience to God. When you say yes to God, when you can do what God tells you to do, the life that flows to you makes, makes being a believer the most exciting, incredible thing in the world. And when people say it's boring to be a Christian, it's boring to be a believer, it's because they have a picture of believers who can't enter the abundant life. If you have the abundant life of Jesus, it's the most exciting thing in the world. And it makes life meaningful. And it's fun to get up in the morning and it's fun to go to work and it's fun to work with people and it's fun to think about the future. And that's the place that God wants you in. All right, here's what I said. Pastor, if you were given a million dollars, what would you do with it right now? So let me give you what my answer is today compared to what it was three and a half years ago. If I had a million dollars, two million dollars, ten million dollars, here's what I would do right now. I would begin to build the building that God has called me to build for our church, it would be a building that had the educational space that we lack in this building. It would be a building that had a sanctuary that could accommodate ministry inside of the sanctuary. We can't, it, it is so difficult to pray for people in our sanctuary. There's no place to go in the back. There's no place to come in the front. 
Chairs take up all the space. The music is playing. And there's no ability to lay hands on people and to pray for them. And you can say, well, you just make do. We've made do for 22 years. We are about making do. But there comes a place where the kingdom of God is not just chinch. It's not just make it uh, work. It's not just get by. There's a place in the kingdom of God where God is a God of excellence. Does anybody hear me right now? Does it speak anything into your heart? I would build the teaching and training center to plant missionaries and to plant pastors and to plant worship pastors in our world that so desperately needs Jesus and is going to need him more than ever in the coming days. I would, I would have classes inside of our structure that allow to teach people how to be free from things that put them in bondage, including finances. I would have a place that allowed for worship to take place on a level and in a realm we've never experienced before. I would have classes that taught the prophetic and that teach how to hear the voice of God and move in those things. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm learning those things there. You, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I would multiply this in a way that you can't imagine. I would put together a facility that could host conferences so that we could bring people in here to teach neighborhoods and cities about the goodness of God. I wouldn't do this to develop a name for John Leach or Jubilee Fellowship, but I would do it to raise high the name of Jesus over Denver. Listen, man, the fields are white under harvest. Jesus said, look, can't you see it? And if you look around and all you see is trouble, you've got to get a new vision. You've got the wrong vision. When I look out, I see low-hanging fruit right now that's going to rot on the vines unless we reach out and start picking it. The greatest revival the world has ever known stands in front of us. And I want to be a part of it. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I don't want to be meager. I, I want to be abundant right now. What would you do, pastor, if you had that money? <laughs> I would expand our tent to include more people than ever before. I had this exciting thing happen to, to us in the last two weeks. New givers ha have begun to give to our church who have never actually physically attended a service here. They found us during this time online. What am I trying to say? What an opportunity right now to extend the kingdom of God to people who've never heard his name or who are disenfranchised from being connected to people who love God and, and live their lives for him. What a time. And I'm, I'm desperate to try to say to you, listen, I can't do it by myself. I can't do it with two or three people. I need a church of people who can hear God say, let's build. Let's go forward. Let's don't, let's don't back up. Let's don't hunker down. Let's don't be afraid. Let's be a light in the world right now. Because the light shines brightest in the darkness. And if you feel like it's dark days today or dark days coming, then, then we've got to be a light in the world. We've got to shine that light like never before. There has to be a place. The number one way that people are one to Christ in our world today are through church plants. Man, I would plant a brand new church in our community. It'd still be called Jubilee, but it would do more than it's ever done before. And we would rescue more and feed more and clothe more and encourage more, sin more, draw more. <laughs> 
heal more. I'd do exactly what Jesus said to do. I'd go into all the world, preach the gospel. I'm doing it now, but I'd multiply it. Man, I'd believe God can raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out the demonic, and tear down the works of the devil. That's what I believe in. That's what I want to build. Does it speak anything to you? A house of the miraculous. A house of the possible. An oasis in the desert. <laughs> a place that's green when everything else is brown. A place that's abundant when everything else is shaking. A place that people could walk into and the very presence of God heals them. He sent his word and heals them. Oh, pastor, can't you do that now? We are. We're making do and we're getting by. Let's not think that way. What if we could do more than we've ever done before? What if God gave us a platform? What if God was calling? And what if you were able to say yes to God instead of, well, I wished I could? How frustrating to say, I wished I could. And how powerful to say, yes. 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 Practice with me. Yes. Don't be stubborn right now. Yes. One, two, three. Yes. Again, one, two, three. Yes. God, yes. It's powerful when we say no, but it's even more powerful when we say yes. Man, our future and our opportunity, it lies in front of us. I believe that this is, this is the call that God has on me right now to come back to this church called Jubilee and to make it a place of recovery and discovery. Man, I believe we've used well the resources that God's given us, but I believe he's calling us to expand for more, for more. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? I'm looking for people who hear that and want to partner with me. Not people who want to argue with me. Not people who want to discourage me. Not people who want to try to change my mind. I want partners in a harvest. Is God saying anything to you, man? Partner with me. Be strategic with me. Help me. Help me. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jubilee, I love you. I bless you. Thank you for letting me just kind of... I, look, it, it, it's, it's a place where I can share the things that are deep in my heart. And it's always a little risky because when you put it out there, people can criticize it. The number one way the enemy kills the things of God is to kill them in their infancy. Think of Pharaoh. Think of Herod. He wants to kill the baby before it becomes an adult. I, I'm sharing with you the infancy of a dream that God's given me. Don't kill it. Help it become an adult because when it's an adult, it's powerful. It's powerful. When it's a baby, it has to be nurtured. Help me nurture this and let's bring it into fruition. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, I bless you. I love you. Hey, Jubilee, thank you. Look forward to seeing you again next weekend.